2 Corinthians 13, 1. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while being absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Paul's two letters to the church in that city of Corinth, First and Second Corinthians, they contain a lot of great insight into the things of God, but also what I believe to be tuning up these stubborn, half-hearted people who seem to really get on Paul's nerves. And the last two chapters of Second Corinthians reveal some things about this church that may hit home with us if we're honest. So let's go to Acts chapter 18 when Paul comes into the city of Corinth after a pretty bleak experience in Athens. At this point, Paul was probably discouraged at what was happening in Thessalonica and Berea and all these other places that he had went to. And now he is in Corinth. But God does something pretty cool here. He introduces Paul to a man and his wife, Aquila and Priscilla, and they encourage him in the ministry, and they become very close to Paul. And that would begin what would be an 18-month stay in the city where he taught the word faithfully. Compare this to his short visit of only a few days in Philippi, and then look at the letter that he wrote to that church. His short time there resulted in a beautiful letter of love and encouragement to these believers. But to the Corinthians, these two letters feel like a drill sergeant tuning up a bunch of knuckleheads. So in the passage in 2 Corinthians 13, it starts out with a stern warning to those who had already been warned prior to this writing that they would not be spared. And I'm not sure what Paul would do to them, but there's every reason to believe that there would be some sort of punishment by Paul. And that sounds weird, the Apostle Paul punishing people. But we may do well to remember that God is patient, but his patience doesn't mean that he will not take action at some point. We see this in Acts chapter 5, where a guy and his wife, they sell off some land and give a portion to the apostles who did not ask for it. And this couple, they proclaim that they have given all of the proceeds to the Lord, when in fact, They were lying. They kept back some of the money, which was their right, which wasn't a bad thing. But God struck both of them dead on the spot. They were liars trying to look righteous in the eyes of Peter, who said in Acts 5.3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained sold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And it's a bad day for Ananias and his wife. Don't lie about it and try to look righteous. It's your money that you could do with it what you want, but if you choose to lie about it and try to represent yourself as being really righteous, look, I'm giving all of my money to this cause, you know, when in fact it's like, no, I'm not, God's going to take issue with it. So we need to be careful what we do and how we treat our God. So too, Paul, when addressing the believers at Corinth, is giving them a warning so they may shape up before he arrives. Otherwise, there's going to be trouble in paradise. And he continues in the passage in verse 3, Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking to me, and he's not weak dealing with you, but he's powerful among you. So evidently there were some in the church that were questioning Paul's credibility as an apostle. And I can just imagine Paul's reaction. He got called over to Macedonia in a vision to come over and help, and he did not have the best time over there. He was beaten, he was in prison, he was run out of town, he was treated pretty bad. He's just doing what God has called him to do, and he spends 18 months 
in Corinth teaching these people. And now they're like, oh yeah, we don't think you're legit. And I could just see him when he opens this letter from the church where they express this. He'd probably start pulling out more of his hair. That's probably why Paul was rumored to be bald, because of stuff like this. So in these letters, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you can see some of that emotion surfacing. Verse 4, For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. As Jesus was crucified in his earthly body, where he lived and died in the weakness of a human body, all the while being God in the flesh, he now lives without that temporary body, that weakness. Rather, he lives as God the Son. So too, we are weak in this temporary body. But with the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we have the power of God available to us. Now it's our choice to live by that power or disregard it and operate solely in our mortal weakness, which is exactly what many churchgoers do. Live by the power of God? Nah, that's too extreme. I'm not interested in that. And this appears to be the problem in Corinth at this time. Verse 5, examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So here's the question. Is Christ in you? And really, there's only one person that can answer that, and that's yourself. And this is a great verse when someone is struggling in their faith, which we all do at times. But simply showing them this verse and sharing about how Jesus can really reside in us through the Holy Spirit can have a great effect on a person who doesn't really understand the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. John fourteen nineteen. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, that's spiritually dead, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. There you go. Recipe for success in Jesus. The Holy Spirit coming in and run the show. And if this hasn't happened or a person is not sure that Christ is in them, and I can totally relate to that as a new believer, hearing this stuff, going, I don't get it. Then listen to Peter's words to the crowd at the temple when he confronts them with their religious zeal without the power to operate it. Acts chapter 319, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. The Father will send the Spirit into those who do what? Repent. This means stopping the direction you're going in if it's contrary to God's will, then turning around and walking in the opposite direction. Repentance doesn't simply mean I stop my wicked behavior. It means I replace my wicked behavior with righteous behavior. So if I'm one of these guys who always seems to be angry, and and yes, that described me, I now have to walk in the other direction. As it says in Colossians 3, 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. So there is a rejection of the old, the flesh, and embracing of or putting on the things of God when it comes to living a life of repentance. Out with the old, in with the new. 
verse 12, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I have to ask myself, does that sound like me? Do I have a compassionate heart? Am I kind? Am I living in humility and meekness and patience? That's the goal. That's where we're supposed to go. That's what a believer filled with the Holy Spirit is supposed to look like. And if I'm running shy of that, then I need to change some things. And the first thing I need to do is change directions. I need to repent. And that's the Holy Spirit working in us, changing us from darkness to light, and our minds being renewed now. And that's what repentance looks like. And when we receive the Holy Spirit by faith, it's the power of God that does the work. In our own strength, doing these things is nearly impossible. And even if we can attain them in our own strength or our own flesh, Romans 8.8 8 says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So even if we try to be nice, and it's not in the power of God. It's not really pleasing to God. These things are beneficial to us. Being kind, being compassionate, all that stuff, it's a benefit. Being a jerk is not a benefit. So pleasing God means that we must operate in the power of God through the Holy Spirit, which we can have if we call upon him, invite him in, and obey him. This is where the power comes into our lives, and now we can be changed from that darkness into light. And when we examine ourselves, we know that Christ is in us, and we pass the test. Thank you.